With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello there and welcome to the Gridiron Draft Show. We apologise for this taking a little bit longer than we hoped. Um, It's been a busy time for both of us, but I do have Simon Clancy on the line. And today, Si, I think we're going to just get in deep and in the offensive side of this draft. Um, We'll get straight into it. We don't need pleasantries on this version of the show. We're not Will and Ollie. We don't love ourselves as much as those guys. I hope you're (laughs) listening well. Um, Si... I mean, this to me, I wrote my notes for the uh, for the magazine today and, that, and I, I was thinking about this. Kyler Murray, to me, is, I think, the most interesting prospect in the last decade, without a doubt. And I wonder if it actually stretches further back than, than even that. Um, these feel like just different times for the NFL because I do think he's going to get drafted, if not first overall, in the top three. And we, we look at, you know... I remember the great Mel Kiber quote recently about Russell Wilson before he came out, and it was Russell Wilson said to him, where would you rank me if I was two inches shorter? And Kiber said, well, I mean, just behind Andrew Luck, and it was that draft. And, you know, that that wasn't that many years ago. So it's in, it's an incredible scenario that somebody even shorter than that is, is in this position, isn't it? It is, it is. Um, but we are hostage to, you know the fortune of what happens um we're hostage to the immediacy i suppose aren't we that, that you know everything that happens now is more important than anything that happened three or four years ago even though the perception and the reality don't really match up i, I do think it's fascinating i do think the nfl has changed and you know we've, we've just been talking off mic about um you know how offenses for example have evolved and 20 years ago if you were to say that you know, the the NFL would essentially be copying college football in terms of its wide open spread offenses. We'd have, you know, you'd been laughed out of the room, but that's exactly what it is now. And you look at young, innovative coaches like Sean McVay and, uh, and Cliff Kingsbury, who, you know, has a huge job. And I don't think he's an NFL head coach, but, you know, he could well be. But Kingsbury has a certain style and a certain offense that 10, 12, eight years ago, even people would not have you you'd have laughed if you'd said that this was going to be the way that the NFL was going to be. I can remember when when Hal Mummy came from Kentucky to to take over and run the the Cleveland Browns offense with with Tim Couch. You know, Mummy Ball had been a massive success um, in univer- at university, but it, it just wasn't to be uh, in the NFL, and there was a reason for that because the NFL wasn't ready for that. The players weren't ready for it. The the, the mindset, the mentality was almost a closed mindset, and uh, and it and it failed. Um, these days, that's what scouts are looking for. You're looking for guys who can run, who can get down the field, and size has become immaterial. You look at somebody like Hollywood Brown, the the, the Marquise Brown, the Oklahoma wide receiver, who weighed in at 166 pounds. You know, five years ago, a 166 pound receiver would go undrafted. Marquise Brown will probably go in the top 45 picks. He may even go in the first round if he if he can prove he's healthy. And that's remarkable to think that we're in this situation. You know, arguably the most dangerous, you know, Sean Payton and, and Drew Brees had a very interesting conversation to Peter King a few weeks ago where they talked about the most dangerous player in the NFL. And Payton said to 
Breeze Drew, who's the most dangerous player in the league? And he said Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill's 100 and, 172 pounds, dripping wet. I mean, that's where we are. So, you know, the Murray thing is fascinating. Um, but Do those on... Do those those offenses work at the at the business end of the season? I mean, I, I feel like people have mistook what the Rams' offense is. To me, the Rams' offense is not really the Cliff Kingsbury offense. The Rams' offense is really it's 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 really an evolved version of the of the Mike Shanahan offense with the with the stretch run game. And and really, I thought I think the masterful thing Bill Belichick did in that Super Bowl was identified that in a way that other teams haven't been able to. Um, but I do wonder, you know, when it gets to those big, bigger games at the end of the season, does does that offense work? People will point to the Chiefs, and it obviously does for them. But I would suggest that the Chiefs has works because they've got a transcendent talent at quarterback, rather than the ability to just, you know, everybody said Sean McVay, you can put any quarterback under him, and he'll make it work. And I, I mean, I'm desperate to see Blake Bortles under McVay. I really mm. would like to see Goff get injured for just a couple of weeks, nothing serious. Because I'd be fascinated to see balls, but did was it disproven a little bit to you in that Super Bowl? Because as good as the Patriots were on defense in the in the playoffs, nobody looked at them talent wise and thought that they would they would win the lowest scoring Super Bowl in, in NFL history. I, I don't think so, and I, I don't think so because I just believe that the Rams just went away from one of the most important factors that they had. It was clear that Todd Gurley wasn't healthy. You know, that there was clearly a knee issue there, but. I just felt that they abandoned the run game so heinously that it left them in, you know, and New England obviously did play very, very well on defense. But I think if if Gurley had been healthy and the Rams had been able to balance that run game, that, that potent, that devastating run game with that excellent offensive line, I think that would have made life significantly easier for Jared Goff. So I, I don't know. And I, you, know, you talk about the Chiefs. We can't have it both ways. We either say that, you know, NFL, uh, that college offenses don't work in the NFL we can't, you know, it's hard to have an outlier that was essentially a, a coin flip away from getting to the Super Bowl. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's, you know, and I get that Mahomes is a transcendent talent and all that, but they still were an overtime drive away from the Super Bowl. You know, New Orleans have, um, you know, New Orleans have a, a very interesting offensive attack, but it's very different to a lots of attacks in the NFL. It's much more reminiscent of a college attack than it is a, an NFL attack. You look at the receivers that they got, but also you look at the way that they use. Um, they use Alvin Kamara. You know, Kamara's obviously used as a back, but, you know, here's a guy who's going to, he can line up out wide, he can line up in the slot, you can keep him in motion. You know, 10 years ago, you know, you look at, you look back and really, you know, you, you talk about guys like Marshall Falk did that, LaDainian Tomlinson did that, you know, Hall of Famers. Roger Craig really would be the guy that from a different era that would stand out as somebody that was able to do that. But beyond that, when, you know, the, there isn't, there aren't that many examples of players in offences that do the things that Kamara and the Saints do. So, I, you know, I, I think it's difficult to sort of pen ourselves into a corner and say, you know, teams are getting found out at the back end of the season when, you know, the Chiefs were an overtime coin flip away from potentially getting to the Super Bowl. And, you know, for, for, for all intents and purposes, and we've discussed this before both privately and on podcasts, New England have essentially operated almost a different offensive structure every year and they have got to the Super Bowl in years past, you know, by Brady, by almost single-handedly abandoning the run game and Tom Brady looking to throw, you know, you look when Randy Moss was there and, and, and Gronkowski in his, well, I mean, he's always been in his pomp, but you know, the early days with Hernandez and, 
you know, they, that was a wide open passing game. It then moved to a, you know, quick drop. You know, they, they, they throw three and four yard little screen passes, which would essentially make up for the fact they just weren't running the ball. And then all of a sudden, you know, following season, you'd get, you know, unheralded guys running for 120 yards a game and, you know, it'd be run, run, run. run. So, you know, the, the Patriots certainly got to the Super Bowl by doing things a different way. And certainly one of those ways has been opening up that, that passing attack. So, you know, I think times are changing and it will be fascinating to see what Kingsbury and, and Murray do because I think we're all under no illusions that, that Kyler Murray is definitely going number one to the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, 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 the reason I'm asking is, you know, it, it feels a little bit like... The, I mean, I find the Josh Rosen situation just a little bit bizarre in that, you know... I mean, I've, I've watched a bit of Josh Rosen the last few weeks just because I know he's potentially on the train block. Have a look at that season. And some of the things I saw for, from an offensive scheme point of view last season for that Cardinals team was 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 shambolic. Mm. So I, I wonder, is there, a, is there an argument to draft Kyler Murray and not trade Josh Rosen this year? Because I... you don't know what you have in Josh Rosen. And, and really, I, I don't think, certainly if you were going to take a second or third round pick, don't you owe to yourself to, to put them both in the same system for one camp and then decide? But how are you going to know what you have in Josh Rosen? Because you're not going to, if you're going to draft... Kyler Murray, you're not going to. Play, Josh Rosen's not going to play at the start of the season. But could we not see like a, a? Could we not see a an open training camp scenario in which it's an open battle and then you trade the guy who you think not going to happen though, is it? The they're, they're not. No, get, I don't think. It, I don't think it's going to happen. They won't get the same value for Murray that they would. You know, his value was going to be highest when the Cardinals are on the clock with pick one. Uh, yeah. and look, you look at what Rosen did last season. Yes, he had his downs, but he had an awful lot of ups. You watch the game yeah. against Seattle; he was outstanding. You know, he was playing behind arguably the worst offensive line in the NFL. You look at his talent at, at receiver. You know, Larry Fitzgerald I mean, is non-existent. A, yeah, Larry Fitzgerald is the first ballot Hall of Famer. He's also fifteen, sixteen-year veteran. Yeah, you know, David Johnson was coming back from the injury and didn't play particularly well. Negligible talent at tight end. Jermaine Gresham, you know, has bounced around the league. You, you know, but you're not talking about Travis Kelsey that he was thrown to. I mean, the, the talent pool of players with which Rosen had to deal with, and I'm not saying that every week he was, you know, he was Aaron Rodgers, but, you know, you look at what he was dealing with, I think he's got a very, very hard... I think he's been dealt a very, very tough hand. And I, I, I don't really understand it. And, and I don't understand it because... It feels to me like Steve Keim uh, has realised that he is done next season because that team is so bad, especially in offence, that I don't think one draft is going to be able to fix it. Do you know what I mean? No. I, I, and I think Steve Keim realises that unless he gets a winning record next season, he's done. Now, the only way that he doesn't get a winning record is if he drafts this uber-sexy 5'10 quarterback in Kyler Murray. And, you know, they pull off a few wins, and they look a bit sexy, and they look like, okay, maybe in a, you know, next season or the season after, they're going to be back up to the levels with which they're... But look, Kyler Murray is still going to be throwing to, you know, Damia Bird and Pharaoh Cooper and Malachi Dupree and Bryant Mitchell and Trent Sherfield and Kevin White and Chad Williams and Jalen Tolliver and Christian Kirk. I mean, you know, Kirk and Kirk was a good player. But he's, you know, coming off an injury at the back end of his rookie season. There's not a lot of talent there. And you're asking Kyler Murray now to come in and throw to that talent. 
Behind I all. mean, if any, if anything, it could work out for Rosen. I mean, if he, I mean, again, I don't want to always use the periods because obviously everyone knows the spot. But if he lands in New England behind Brady for eighteen months mm. and and Brady wins another Super Bowl, or even if he doesn't decide six is enough, I mean, that's surely a perfect scenario for him. I mean, I think the teams that the, the three teams that have been rumored to be offering what feels like a second round pick, which are Washington, New England, and Sandy, uh, the the Chargers. The, yeah. Um, I mean, that's a smart move to me. Josh Rosen didn't become a bad quarterback overnight yeah. at all. So so in, in your evaluation, side, where do you land pre-draft? Where do you land um, Murray in comparison with Rosen? I mean, I think Murray's a better player, but I have some significant question marks over, over Murray. You know, he is five foot ten, And whilst Russell Wilson is the same height, and that's, that's a different situation because he is absolutely rail thin whereas Wilson is a big human being you know that would be and also one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen absolutely in contact I mean Murray essentially lacks the desired height weight bulk kind of combination to play the position you look at you know I mean you just take the physical issue first of all that is a concern should be a concern for anyone. It should be a massive concern for everyone. And it would be a massive concern if you were drafting him in Dallas and putting him behind that offensive line. To place him behind that offensive line in Arizona should be a an enormous concern. But then look at, actually, as a, as a passer, he is very accurate. He has a very strong arm. You know, he generates real power. He's quick. And, 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 and I think people don't see this because they see the highlight. Absolutely. Runs, he reads defenses really well. I mean, I don't want to give everything away on the draft issue, the piece that you put together, but you know, he's been studying defenses with his, with his dad since he was yeah. about eight years old. And I think it shows on the field. Absolutely. But you then the flip side of that is you look at some of the kind of conceptual foundations, I suppose, of that Oklahoma offense with a lot of focus on misdirection and deception and defined reads. And you have to ask questions about Murray's ability to work his progressions when needed. And you watch the tape and you, th- and it does look like a lot of his throws were predetermined before the snap. And that's a concern as well. Look, Lincoln Riley has said that, you know, he can, he can work his progressions. He knows what he's looking at. And as you'll read in the piece, you know, that's something that's been going on a long time, but that doesn't take away from the fact that there are still issues at times. He can be inaccurate. You know, I've seen a number of inaccurate throws from him. I've seen a number of very accurate throws, but you always get the sense that sometimes he's just left a few throws on the field because of his, height and also because sometimes he's a bit premature in leaving the pocket he you know Russell Wilson doesn't you know Russell Wilson runs when he has to Russell Russell Wilson doesn't run because he needs to or because he wants to do you know what I mean I think the I think the Alabama game in the in the semi-final was fascinating because in a way it feels like Alabama were 28-3 up and in a way took the, the brakes off a little yeah, bit. took the foot off the gas. And, I think that's ignored, isn't it? And the, 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 the throw that he made, the touchdown throw where he escaped and then threw from the 50-yard line, which was a phenomenal, flow, a th- phenomenal throw over the head of Deontay Thompson. I, I think people are forgetting that what the score was at that particular point, the fact that he'd looked inaccurate, he hadn't been able to complete passes, he hadn't been able to hit open, you know, find open receivers. Um and all of a sudden, a lot of that sort of was, was that mystique that had been worn away in the first half was all of a sudden put back in place just because of one throw. And I'm not trying, you know, he's my number one quarterback in the draft. I'm not trying, but I am, he does come with a, a distinct buyer beware. 
and it comes because of the the size and just some of the things that you see on the field that just make you worry. And for me, for the Arizona Cardinals, I think it is a monumental mistake. I think you can build that team. You know, you could hold, and maybe this is what they're doing. Maybe they're holding teams to, to, to ransom. Maybe they're ransoming that pick. We're going to take him. We're going to take him. It's going to take a hell of an offer to, you know, ring, 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 ring. It's Dave Gettleman. Okay. Here's the deal. It's three first yeah, rounders, or and and I really hate the Russell Wilson comparison because I get why people do it, but you know, just because a quarterback six foot four and a white guy doesn't mean he's Tom Brady. Mm. I mean, at the end of the day, you're talking about one of the best three or four quarterbacks in the NFL. Just just because he fit meets a, a high profile and is very athletic doesn't mean he's Russell Wilson. But he's an excellent thrower. He's an excellent thrower yeah, of the ball. Absolutely. Um, so it will be fascinating to see where he ends up. I suspect he goes one to Arizona, which I think would be a mistake. But we shall we shall have to see. We shall have to see. And and where do you land on the rest of these guys? I have I have significant concerns about Dwayne Haskins. Yeah. Uh, and and we've discussed those in the in the last pod. So we we don't need to focus on him as much. What interests me is Gil Brandt today has tweeted. Four quarterbacks will go in the top 25. Now, I feel like that's less of a shock in any year now because there is so much value in getting a guy at the end of the first round compared to the start of the second round because you get control of that fifth year of the contract. So yeah. I can understand teams trading into the end of that round and giving up a pick to do it because that one year is so valuable. But I think the significant... if there are... Go on, sorry. If, the, if there are four, who are the four? Is, well, it, is I, it Murray, Haskins, Locke, Jones? Yes, and I would think the, the significant shock in the draft will come with the sixth overall pick because it will not surprise me one iota if the New York Giants select Daniel Jones of Duke. Not one iota. Is I, that because of the Cutcliffe uh, in part. In part, I was talking to somebody a couple of days ago in the scouting community who said that the NFL holds Daniel Jones in much higher regard than the kind of the the the, the, the journalists and the Twitterati do. You know, I like Jones. I must admit, I, but I look for an anticipation thrower and can and give up arm strength as a as a as a person as what I look for. That yeah. is what I like. My, so, my I concern mean, with Jones is the lack of arm strength. But then you look at the players he was playing with at Duke. Certainly, the receiving talent wasn't particularly good at all. Um, I think people were surprised by how well he threw the ball at his pro day uh, in terms of the arm strength, um, which is something that you don't see on tape. So now you have that this, this this then means that you're going to go back and evaluate the tape and say, look, where has that arm strength come from? And, I mean, he does remind me very much of a better-brained, better football-brained, weaker-armed Ryan Tannehill in terms of his he's very mobile he even wears the same number he's big he can he can make throws i don't think his arm is nearly as strong as it needs to be but you get him in the right system then you know who knows i it would not surprise me at all if and i know the giants have got the 17th pick as well but i think the giants believe that daniel jones might be gone by pick 17 uh, potentially okay. washington potentially cincinnati but it would not surprise me at all to see them take Daniel Jones at, uh, at pick six. Um, where, where are Denver picking? Denver, are eight? Denver at 10. 10. So, I mean, so we could see four go in the top 10 because I'm convinced they're going to take Drew Locke. Yes, I am too. And I think John Elway has fallen head over heels in love with Drew Locke, um, who's a very interesting 
quarterback. He's mobile. He's got an absolute cannon for an arm. He can be very, very accurate. The, 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 the unfortunate thing about Locke is that he is prone to just the most boneheaded of mistakes at times. You're just like, where, you know, he will make throws that will take your breath away. But then he will consistently make throws where you just think, what have you seen here? What, 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 what are you doing? Why are you even throwing that? Which is a concern. Uh, the other concern for me is that um, I, I'm led to believe that both his high school offense and his Missouri offense were significantly toned down in terms of the verbiage because it, he was, it was difficult for, for him to process it. Now, yeah. that would be a massive concern if you're, you know, you're looking at an NFL playbook that can run to five, six hundred pages and you are having to downgrade a college offense because you're unable to grasp the fundamentals of it. That that would be a concern. But, you know, I, I think he's a he, he I think he will go in the top ten picks, definitely. And you know, the the other team that I think it likes Drew Locke is the Oakland Raiders. Um you know, do, they, do they love Kyler Murray as they well? They love Kyler Murray too, I think. But we shall, we shall see. I mean, look, John Gruden likes veteran quarterbacks, and Derek Carr played pretty well in the second half of the yeah, season he, last season. I would say the last seven, eight, six, seven games of Carr last season we the, were the least talked about, and actually yeah. the Raiders generally in terms of you know people love to criticise John Gruden. I've always kind of defended him. Um, so I have a, a slightly different bias on it, but I think people ignored how he kept that team playing, and it's cost them the first overall pick hmm. um, through the end of the season, and how much Carr actually improved. Yep, and look, Derek Carr didn't become a bad quarterback overnight. He was. A I good, mean, he was in the MVP discussion of course two he was. years ago. Of course he was. So it's you know it's fascinating, and then after that, you're looking at you know. Tyree Jackson of Buffalo, you know, massive armed, huge quarterback, very mobile, but raw. Where would be a good landing spot for him? I'd love to see him, you know, with Bruce Arians in Tampa. Yeah, I think that would be, I think that would be, I think he needs coaching. I think he needs really good coaching and Arians is the sort of guy that can, that can give him that. You're looking at, you know, a really good quarterback coach who can come in and uh, work and develop him because he's got a lot of tools, but I think he's, you know, significant steps away from... He's a two-year two project. Definitely. He? And, and I feel like we say that every year, no team ever listens and they throw these guys in, but he yeah. is a real... Let him go and work for two years and see what you get at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... I, I actually think he'd work quite well in a Sean Payton offence. Um, okay. I, I think he's got the sort of... You know, because look, Drew Brees is still a downfield, downfield thrower. Do you know what I mean? He's still a. You look at some of that talent with Teddy Ginn and 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 um, uh, and Michael Thomas. These are downfield receivers still. Drew still likes to put it up, um, you know. And I think it's having somebody of the the, the Sean Payton mentality in terms of just how you coach. My, my how, only worry with that is I think this is Drew Brees' last season. Yes, I, think I thought he right. tailed off significantly down the stretch last year, and that roster now is so strong that they need to start thinking yeah. about a guy for the year after because they're really built to win. No, definitely. Their roster's built to win. If they got a young quarterback in and cheap money who could play in a year's time, they're really built for a run, I think. Definitely. And then after that, it's pick your poison, really. Will Greer of West Virginia, who, you know, uh, transfer from Florida, matured, got married, you know, still question marks about him. I, I don't see him making lots of NFL throws. I know he's got a number of fans, had some very good receivers to throw to in Gary Jennings. I just uh, think he's quality. He's a college quarterback. That's, that's what I think. 
that's what I think. And the guy that intrigues me, there's a few guys. Jarrett Stidham of Auburn didn't have a particularly good final season. Um, but Really disappointing final season. But looked like an NFL quarterback the seasons before. He was very good at the Senior Bowl. I thought he was very good when he beat Washington early in the season in a tough game. Um, and it fell, it fell apart. The program fell apart, yeah. didn't it? In the way that Auburn's does every other year. And I year, wonder whether you know. it, I wonder whether his downfall was more because Gus Malzahn lost control of that team a little yeah. bit than it was a lack of talent. Because I think I think he has something that you know teams create, and I think he showed that in the Senior Bowl. Um, I, I, I'm intrigued by Jordan Tiamu of of Old Miss. The question about him is that he had AJ Brown and and. Um, and DK Metcalf to throw to. So is he, is his talent inflated by the fact that he was able to throw to what are potentially two first round wide receivers? Um, that, that's a question. And then there's a, the small school guy that I've talked about a couple of times from North Dakota state who Eastern stick, who replaced so I, I really like Carson this Wentz. Guy. Yeah. And no, me too. Uh, I know teams that, uh, I know teams that have him in their top five, um, quarterbacks. Um, I've spoke to him. I spoke to his agent, uh, about two weeks ago and his agent said to me that it was his belief that stick would go on the second day of the draft and as high as the third round which uh, to me third fourth round is a good area for him he is he's rich gannon with a bigger arm i think he has got a monster of an arm uh, he's very mobile he can be very accurate if you're if, if you don't know this guy and you like watching stuff watch his game against delaware um at home uh, It'll be a good opportunity for you to see Nazir Adley, who's the Delaware safety, who should be a first-round pick, top 40 pick at worst, very good at the senior bowl, can play inside and out, cornerback and safety. Um, Stick is superb in this game and makes one throw just before half-time that will take your breath away. Um, he's a guy that I find interesting that, you know, you could maybe hold as a third as a third quarterback. And, you know, again, a team that can just develop a, a talent and has the time to invest. I, I definitely think there's a potential starter there. So it's not a good year overall. It really isn't a good year overall. For I mean, if there was a, if you had a bet and I've got a bet, I've got a guy in mind, one quarterback who could be the fifth guy in the first round, who would yours be? Um, one guy who could be the fifth, I think, I mean, Jarrett Stidham wouldn't surprise me. I, I see Will Greer wouldn't surprise yeah, me. Yeah, and Greer's the other one. And, and that's not because, I, I agree with you, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced at all, but I just see the buzz and think that teams, teams quite like him. Yeah. He's got a bit of moxie and, and he's... He's shown that development of maturity as well. Spunky is a word that we used to use. Yeah. I'll tell you what, here's, a, here's an interesting evaluation of, of where this quarterback class is. I think if you were to take the next, you were to take last year and next year and potentially the year after. So you're saying, so we had what, Lamar Jackson, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield. This year, you take Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke. Let's take those three. Next year, let's take Tua Tungavailoa, Jake Fromm, Jordan Love, and uh, Justin Herbert. And then the following year, let's just take two, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Um, I think the best quarterback in this class, Kyler Murray, wouldn't make the top five. No, I don't. And I think that's either. a. I think that's. And a, I really like Murray. Ball, I do too, I and I think that's a. But I think that's a damning indictment of this this quarterback class because I think you'd probably go, Lawrence, Tungavailoa, 
Herbert, Mayfield, or Mayfield, Herbert, maybe Murray then at that point. Um, I mean, I think Fields is going to be the guy. I mean, Darnold's an argument as well. I think Fields is the guy that's really going to leap up the, you know, being being the Ohio State quarterback. Um, yeah. uh, you know, and there is a number of Jacob Eason at Washington. I, I'm intrigued to see what Tate Martell can do at Miami because if you know if size is not an issue now, and clearly you know Baker and now Kyler Murray have proven that size isn't an issue. You know, I think that there are you know Brock Purdy at Iowa State is another. Um, the kid at Wake Forest, uh, Sam oh, Hartman. I like Brock Purdy. Yeah, I like Brock Purdy too a lot. The interesting thing about Brock Purdy is whether or not you know how he plays now without Hakeem Butler and um, and David Montgomery. But Purdy is a to me Brock Purdy is Drew Brees, two point oh. Yeah, um, say that. So and then really, if he has a good year without those guys, yeah, I mean, his stock really goes absolutely through the roof. Absolutely, great coaching as well. Absolutely. So it'll be interesting to see. But I think I think that's an indictment of the the, the class this year is that your number one guy probably wouldn't make the top five uh, if you're taking four drafts. And look, you know, there are two transcendent talents in there. You know, yeah. Lawrence and, uh, and Tonga Vailoa, that, that's, that's a given. But even so, that's, you know, and then after that, if Dwayne Haskins is your number two, Haskins might not even be in the top ten if you throw all those Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he is. So, I'm not convinced at all by Haskins. We shall see. But it's not... Um, if quarterback is your poison this year, then you have to pick very, very wisely, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, let's move on to, to some of the skill position, guys. I think yeah. we'll just do quarterback skill position today and then and then hit on some trenches stuff together maybe in the next one. Um, running back. Yeah. I... I'm not worried at all about Josh Jacobs' 4-6. No, I mean, I still think he's easily the best guy. Oh, I mean, but you look at his 10-yard split. His 10-yard split was 152, which is phenomenal. You look at a downhill running back, um, you know, who can burst through the hole with speed. I mean, he is a powerful, powerful man with great feet, you know, great vision. He's got excellent hands. I think most teams, he, he doesn't, he needs some work in pass protection, but he's he's not the finished article. But teams will he'll be out there on third down, uh, and I think teams will trust him. He'll get a hard lesson during camp. But there's definitely stuff to work on. Uh, and look, so few so few miles on the clock. You know, I mean, it's this is this is the biggest the biggest factor of all for me. Look at what's happened with Todd Gurley last season. To me, that looks like a potential long term scenario the Rams are going to have to deal with now. That that was a guy who when he was playing for Georgia, had big carries, had injuries. This is essentially like getting a clean, just a, a, a clean canvas, a, a, an empty canvas, and you can just go with it. I mean, it, it just never happens like this. No, not at all. I mean, what, he had 85 carries last year? That's all? You know, and yet we're talking about, I mean, I, I was looking at his Instagram earlier on before we started this podcast. He was in Chicago. To, Chicago's a great fit for him. You know, but he, he's a guy that could slot in and start, you know, You'd say that before the Jordan Howard trade, Philadelphia would be a great place. Indianapolis, I mean, Marlon Max, very underrated player. But you know, there's there are teams around the league with which he would fit in perfectly and start. And you know, low center of gravity guy, big frame. He's violent. He's a violent. I never ever see him get knocked backwards. Uh, you know, he's patient, but he can. You know, he can buck it up either inside or outside. Um, and what I like about him as well, when you watch him, is that he doesn't need to hit the hole. He he allows his blocks to to develop. You know, he isn't running into the back of his own guys. He isn't getting to the hole quicker than the 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 the, 
the guard, whether the guard's pulling or the tackle's pulling or whatever, he understands how to set that up. I, I, I'm a big fan. I think he's, um, you know, he's probably not going to hit, you know, you're probably not going to see him reel off a load of 60 plus yard touchdowns, but that's fine. But, you know, you don't see many guys. Do no, that. Exactly. I think he's, um, I think he's a very good player. I think you, what he'll have to do is just be careful of injury. I think because, you know, he is such a, he's such a violent runner. Um, and I wonder whether or not, you know, he looks for contact and you just wonder four or five years of doing that, of being a bell cow and then just running into people consistently is going to end up, you know, shoulders and back and, and those sorts of things that, you know, might just become an issue. But for me, uh, I'm a, a big fan of, uh, big, big fan of Josh Jacobs. And what I would say about Josh Jacobs, incredibly nice guy. And I'm going to slot in now. Some audio, we spoke to him on Radio Road, the Super Bowl. You can also read a bit of that in, in Gridiron coming up. So this is Josh Jacobs in his own words. Josh Jacobs, Alabama running back, uh, number one back in the draft this year, potentially. You know, we're talking top 10, top 15 pick joining us now on Radio Road. Josh, how are you enjoying? Is this your first time out yeah. at the Super Bowl and, and yeah. <laughs> living this whole experience? I actually didn't even know, like, all of this went on, honestly. So it's, it's definitely a great experience. Josh, um, you are from the running back factory that is the <laughs> University of Alabama. Um, I, I just want to know, what, what's it like walking into that building, knowing that the rich history, certainly in the last 10 years of, of, of NFL backs, I, I just, what, what's it like in that building? I mean, the, the atmosphere is, is, is dope in itself. Um, just being around Coach Saban, one of the greatest coaches of all time, college coaches is is huge, um, and then not wanting to disappoint the running backs that came before you. You know what I'm saying? You 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 think about all of them things before you go into the game. We see Alabama dominate the recruiting rankings every year. Um, when you're making that decision, what obviously Coach Saban is a huge attraction, but as a guy like yourself, where you, you would have had pro aspirations when you first first came out, how much? What, where do you balance that? Is it about winning national titles? Is it about developing as a pro? Is it the fact that that program can do both? See, well, for me, it was different. Um, I didn't have any offers. I had like two offers, yeah. uh, like two weeks before signing day. Like two weeks, uh, well, two weeks before signing day, I blew up, and that's when I started getting all my offers and stuff like that. So it was just taking the underdog approach, uh, wanting to go play on the best stage against the best people, just to prove that I could compete. That was, the, that was the biggest thing for me. Before we get deeper into the draft stuff, I do want to ask you about the National Championship game. I mean, that rivalry with Clemson now has become incredible in itself yeah. and obviously didn't go the way anybody expected this time. Um, I mean, how frustrating was that? Because you guys were in the conversation as potentially, and Clemson are now firmly in the conversation, as potentially the greatest college football team of all time with what you did in the season. It must have been frustrating. Yeah, I mean, we definitely didn't finish the right way. Um, but going into that game, I kind of knew it was going to be a rough game. Uh, just, the, just the atmosphere uh, in the locker room beforehand kind of kind of let me knew, know that it was going to be a rough game. And uh, I kind of talked to Coach Cock before, and I was like, I don't know about this one. And when you're playing a good team like that, you have to create as many, as minimal mistakes as possible. And we just didn't have to do that. And then they capitalized on the mistakes that we made. Was the atmosphere one of of overconfidence or was it one of I don't know I mean it, it doesn't strike me that a Nick Saban team ever gets yeah. to be like that what what yeah honestly it was just like 
a lot of young players, uh, and then a, a couple of people you could tell was like complacent. And then everybody else was just tired. I mean, you could you could see it. I don't know how to explain it, but you could feel it if that makes sense. And uh, I remember and before the game, I was in the locker room and I was just trying to get everybody pumped. Like we got to get going, we got to get going, and it just didn't pan out that way. Going into the process of the back of the game, going into the the draft process. I mean, as Matt said, running back factory, the the you know the team that sees more players drafted in the first round seemingly year in year out than any other program so what is the advice that you've been getting from someone like Nick Saban so those coaches around the team for going forwards and going into this draft process well honestly they've prepared every player since I've came in as a freshman for the league Um, so he was just telling me like on terms of if I wanted to come out or not, he was giving me the pros and cons of everything. But he, it's also like a family. So regardless if I was going through something like now, I could always reach back and talk to any of the coaches up there or even former players that's in the league now for advice. So it's definitely a family. Yeah, we, I mean, the running back factory actually in terms of your own career at Alabama hindered you because you, you didn't get anywhere near as many touches the, of the ball as somebody with your draft status should have. Exactly. As much as that's frustrating, mm-hmm. I mean, I, first of all, I imagine that was a frustration. Uh, yeah, I definitely had to get adjusted to it. Uh, but then, I mean, my last year, how my body felt after the game, I was just like, it was whatever. I didn't have, like, I literally, biggest games like Georgia and stuff like that, I didn't leave the game with bruises or anything. I'm feeling fresh. So I was like, yeah, I could complain, but at the same time, my body, I just took advantage of yeah, it. Well, well, that's yeah. what I was going to ask. That's, I mean, I've, I've never seen a guy with your draft status have so few touches in college. Now, as that's frustrating in college, but yeah. from an NFL perspective, it's, I, I, it's literally the dream position to be in. Exactly. You look at the guys who, care, who have come out of that program, yeah. Derek Henry and Mark Ingram and Trent Richardson and Eddie Lacy, all big, hard-hitting, exactly. physical backs that came into the league already with a lot of tread on the tires. So for you, that's got to be... Yeah, it's definitely huge because, I mean, I feel fresh. I mean, that's always huge. And then as, as a running back, careers don't really last that long. And uh, coming in with minimum wear is probably the best thing I could could have asked for, honestly. The, the way careers do last a little longer as a running back, though, is, is versatility. And you're, you're one of those guys who... You know the the perfect prototype for the modern day NFL back. You can catch the ball out the backfield, good in pass protection. How much do you pride yourself on that? I actually try to pride myself in everything I do because I'm showcasing it. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I'm showcasing it to the world. So so even each day at practice, my my running back coach, Coach Burns, taught me you showcasing every day uh, when we watch film. So I try to take pride in everything. I know a lot of a lot of running backs don't like to be physical in protections or anything. Or even like just play special teams. I started on every special team. So it's just like, it's just, just doing whatever I can for the team um, and just trying to showcase everything I have. I'm not going to lie. I think where you're likely to be drafted this year, don't expect to do too much special teams work <laughs> in the NFL this season. I, I think you might not get used in the, in the third phase of the game. I'm not going not gonna to lie. It, it, it is huge though. Like I look at James White this, this weekend who was built an incredible career basically as just a pass catcher so when you can do all three to the level that you can you you kind of have the opportunity to just affect the game in so many ways but also each skill backstops the other one as well exactly and then i mean it makes it hard on the defense and i like to play mind games with the defense (laughs) so it's definitely tough and and i want to ask about damian harris as well obviously your your running back stable mate 
I mean, I spoke to Damien actually ahead of this season for a piece we did in, in the magazine and just seems like a great dude and I imagine yes. a, a, an awesome one to have as a senior when you, you know, as a younger guy who you've, I'm, I imagine, looked up to throughout yeah, your time. He, he definitely, he was, he was one of them players that's like, he was never selfish. He always talked to you like when I came in my freshman year, he had helped me like learn the plays and everything. So he was just like a, a, a brother, you know what I'm saying? So I wish him the, the most success for everything he has and uh, he deserves it all. Are you guys working out together and going through that bits of that process? Um, I'm actually training at IMG. Oh, okay. So he's still training at Alabama. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to stay there. I had to go to somewhere where it's only six of us there. Yeah. So I'm really training day in and day out. So, yeah. And one thing, you mentioned you recruit, and I wanted to ask you about that anyway. The amount of times we sit in this chair and we speak to guys who they weren't drafted where they thought they should be, they weren't recruited as much as they should have been at the start, and it feels like that puts a chip on their shoulder that makes them much better players. I mean, even Tom Brady's a perfect example of it this, this weekend. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder how much has that driven your career at Alabama? I mean, as you said, you don't, you don't go in as a high recruit and you're going into a place where... Exactly. Everybody is five stars around you. It's a it's exactly. a tough gig from the start. Like I didn't I didn't have any stars yeah. when I got the Alabama Which offer. Which is ridiculous. I end up they then I got stars when yeah. I got the Alabama offer. I've never went to any camps or anything like that. So coming in and then I played a lot as a freshman. So it was just like it just it just drives you. It's different. It's a different feeling when you don't when you get it out the out the mud basically. Uh, you have to work for it and grind for everything. You take you take heed of the like the little details of things. But you also humble, so it don't take you like you don't get complacent really. So that's probably where I'm at the most. I still feel like I have a lot more to accomplish. Uh, I'm still striving to be the best person I could be on and off the field every day. Josh, I want to ask you about Tua. Um, he's taken everyone by storm, really. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just phenomenal, phenomenal talent. Um, how far do you think that he can go? Dude, sky's the limit. <laughs> sky's the limit for the dude, for real. I mean, coming in as a freshman, first day I, at seven on seven, I remember vividly. Uh, he made a throw, and I'm just like, dang. So I'm seeing him throughout the season, and he's just different. I don't know how to explain it. I mean, he does all the little things right. He doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> Sorry. He doesn't take it to the 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 fame and all that to the head. He's very humble, rooted guy, uh, big in his faith, and he's just down to earth. I mean. Dudes like that, like, you wish the best for. And, I mean, like I said, the sky's the limit for him. I've seen him make plays that I, I couldn't even imagine. I've seen him do things that's like quarterbacks taught not to do, like throw across his body, rolling out to the left, throwing across his body to the right. But he make it, like, pinpoint accuracy. Like Remember the play against Tennessee. Yeah, bro, it's crazy. Like, he does that, but he does it all the time. And it's like, people are like, oh, maybe it's luck. But it's really, like, the dude, the dude is special. Dude is special. I want to ask you, you obviously played with two all season. And you saw Trevor Lawrence up close in that yeah. game. I wonder, I mean, I've watched college football now for kind of ten, maybe last five, six, seven years. And I've never seen two quarterbacks this good in college football. I wonder yeah, if definitely. when you're on that field, do you kind of think of the bigger picture of the fact that, I mean, these are two guys who could potentially meet in a Super Bowl down the road. That, oh, yeah. I mean, I mean you, don't, you don't really think about that, but you definitely can see it. You definitely can see it, and just feeling the aura around it. You know what I'm saying? You you could definitely feel it. Um, just even in that game with Tua, with, with his throws. I mean, if you actually, yeah, he had a couple of. If you see actually see like his stats, you'd be like, oh, maybe he made a lot of drops and anything like that. But he every almost every throw besides the two interceptions was pinpoint throws. 
whether the receiver dropped it or not, yeah. it's pinpoint throw. So it's like it's hard. It's hard to really just debate it, but he's definitely he's definitely going to be a different special well, talent. I do want to ask a couple of questions about Coach Saban. First of all, what's it like the first time you meet him? I mean, what's he like in the re <laughs> in the recruiting process? I read a great story that yeah. all of these recruiters now the, the texting guys, and he will only yeah. operate on the phone and things like that. I'm not gonna lie to you. When the first time I met him, I was nervous. Yeah. But then he was a lot shorter than what I thought too. So I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right, all right, cool. But I was, I was nervous. I ain't gonna lie to you. But when he when he got to talking to me, I like the thing I didn't like the most that I liked the most. He didn't talk down on any other school. Uh, and then not only that, he he talked to me like as a man, like not about football, but as in like a man, like growing me and developing me as a man and about school and stuff like that. Like he never really brought up football. You know what I'm saying? So I respected that as a player, you know what I'm saying, as a person that he actually took time, you know what I'm saying, to actually talk to me about the things that matter most. Uh, what's he been like throughout the process? What kind of influences has he had on you? I just, I mean, we're in an era now of potentially the two greatest coaches in the yeah. history of the game. One coach in this game this week and, and Coach Saban, Saban in college. Yeah, I mean, definitely. what's it like to, to just be under a guy I like mean, that? you, you got to do the soul. He's so, I, I don't know how to explain it. Like, he's, People think he's like uptight and mean and stuff like that, but he's not at all. Like he jokes around with us at practice all the time. Like he don't really yell at the players, he yells at the coaches, but he don't really yell at the players too much. And um, he's just very like structuralized. Everything he do, like regardless if it's, he eats the same meals. Like he likes like literally everything he does is like defined yeah. to the T, you know what I'm saying? So that's probably the biggest thing I just took, like not preparing the same way for everything whether it's practice or a game like everything like little details matter i saw the the video where him and him i think his wife was there as well who, who was obviously very 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 involved in it all oh, as she well. run a relationship too <laughs> she, 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 <laughs> she's running she's calling all the shots <laughs> but i saw when he, he gets you out on the on the lake before the season yeah. in his big board house i mean experiences like that must be pretty awesome you guys are college kids walking in front of hundred thousand fans exactly. playing for the one of the greatest coaches in the history of the game. It must be pretty nice. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that, uh, finally, the last one from me. I went to that stadium last year, saw the game against LSU. Um, and it, we, we went to the Michi a Michigan game this year as well. It completely blows my mind the idea that you guys are like, you know, 19, 20 year old kids walking out in front of that. that. What's the it atmosphere, like? The atmosphere is crazy. That's why I tell people, like, in the game, I don't notice none of the crowds. Like, I'd be, like, so, like, focused in. I don't even hear anything. But, like, in the in the warm-ups, you come out and you just, like, and it's kind of like a whirlwind. Like, you could feel, like, so many people yelling. You could feel it in, in, in your body shaking. You know what I'm saying? It's just, I mean, I, I, was, I was just blessed to play, get the uh, opportunity to play on a stage like that. But the, the, the college atmosphere as well is better than an NFL atmosphere. Like, I've been oh, seeing both. 100%, yeah. Like, you've probably already played in the loudest environment you've ever seen, which is crazy. Incredible. Uh, there are eight teams coming out to London uh, next year, NFL teams. Some are potentially at the top of the draft. You may end up coming out to London playing at Wembley Stadium or Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Is that something that you ever thought could be possible? It's crazy because I actually watch a lot of soccer games, and I see how crazy like their atmosphere is. And I'll just be like, man, I, I have to have a chance to be a part of that. So just coming out there and be able to see, I've never been out there before. It, it'll be dope, definitely dope. Raiders have got three first-round picks. They need, <laughs> they need a running back. Just saying. Just saying. 
Marshall getting older. Doug Martin, some tread on the tyres. Oh, well, we now decide where he's oh, we've going decided to Josh Jacobs is going to the Raiders <laughs> so he can come out to London. And then you're going to have to chip block Khalil Mack. So <laughs> I, I've, I've mapped out the next six months of your career for you already. Uh, I do need to ask, because yesterday we had on uh, Coach Billick and the guys uh, from X-Tech Pads were, were here and we had... Uh, Bob showed us. Did the demonstration. He did I've the never, never want to see it again. I'm still a little bit terrified. And I, 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 did, I did it myself and put my hand in. And I brought the helmet down, but with nowhere near as much force as Bob <laughs> because I was scared. Scary. I won't lie. Yeah. But actually, like for you, you will have worn other pads and these. So what is the difference in that phone? What are the difference in those pads? Well, it's definitely just putting it on a comfortability standpoint is different. They're lighter. Uh, they don't bounce when you run. And uh, like you said, the SRD, um, the SRD technology in it, and it's like a mili uh, military grade foam that's built into the pads. It's huge in itself. And I mean, I've talked to players, former player, Alabama players that um, wore the pads, like Landon Collins and Calvin Ridley, and they love them. So uh, it's definitely going to be the pads that I'm uh, going to play in on the next level. And I'm uh, blessed to work with the, the company right now. I forgot that Calvin Ridley would there as well he's yeah. had a great season yeah. here in Atlanta catching passes catching touchdowns in the stadium red that's, zone threat man that's I didn't expect that either I didn't think he'd be a red zone guy that's I've seen some where he was like the number one graded receiver this year I was like I mean the ridiculous part is is how similar though like Cooper Ridley and now Jerry Judy it's like watching the same guy on no. on repeat <laughs> every three years Drew and Calvin are literally the same players yeah. like uh, you literally watched him like Dude might, he probably had more wiggle after the catch, but running routes is literally look like the same, like identical. It's crazy. Just, it's, Just like playing with the same guy. Man. Uh, Josh, we really appreciate your time. And with the X-Tech badge, you can now get them in the UK. Football America uh, are now selling them through their website, distribution deal, recently done. So it's massively growing. We hope we can see you in London <laughs> this year. We wish you the very best for the combine, for the draft, for everything coming up. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll catch up with you when you're a... Oakland Raider. I'm, I'm now going to re-record that 31 more times and then we'll pretend we got like it right. I got it right. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for having me. No Thanks worries. Much. Appreciate it. Cheers, Josh. That was Josh Jacobs there. Wonderful guy. And let's just get on to the rest of this running black class site. Um, I mean, I, I love it. I mean, I, 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 there's not a guy. I'm looking, looking at Miles Sanders, Henderson, David Montgomery, Rodney Anderson's fascinating because we, we we've not seen it for a, he almost becomes the forgotten man. But you know there are a lot of guys to like in this class. No, absolutely. I mean Rodney Anderson. You just mentioned Rodney Anderson was probably a top fifty pick before he tore his ACL. You know, very interesting player. Uh, take something like Jordan Scarlett, Florida. Nobody's talking about this kid. 5'10", 210 pounds, ran a four forty seven. Was suspended in twenty seventeen, but had a great you know five five yards of carry, six touchdowns, almost nine hundred yards last season. Physical, quick, downhill. You look at Dexter Williams at Notre Dame. You know, on the back of Notre Dame's excellent season with Ian Book, he had six point three yards of carry last season. You know, against decent opposition Jalen Moore Darrell Henderson I mean does anybody I can't think of a running back who had as many big plays as Henderson like I think I mean I've put it in the draft issue and I can't remember the number off the top of my head but the number of the number of 20 yard and plus 55 yard plays he had last season was phenomenal 43 Again, carries of 15 plus yards I mean that's ridiculous it's ridiculous yeah it is I mean, he's, you know, again, this is a 4-4 kid at 5 for 8, 210 pass. Bryce Love of Stanford, you know, the, the ACL tear. But Yeah, I mean, another forgotten guy. I'm totally. 
Totally. Yeah. I, I, what about um, Devin Singletary? I yeah. loved the the tape on him. I mean, he, he's another one who ran a four six type time. But I mean, he he. Whenever I saw him get the ball, it was it. it I, I loved everything I saw. From his him ability well. to change direction is phenomenal. Yeah, it's his footwork, his balance. You know, again, six and a half yards per carry. You go, but go back to go back to um to to Bryce Love for a sec. Twenty seventeen. Bryce Love ran for 2,118 yards, 19 Last year touchdowns. Last we were thinking Heisman. Yeah, Heisman. 8.1 yards a carry. I mean, that's phenomenal. But Karan Higdon at Michigan, all he ever did was all he ever did was perform. Benny Snell at Kentucky, Gaskin at uh, at Washington. The kid, I, the two kids I really like, Montgomery at Iowa State, who we just talked about. You know, 5'10", 220 pounds, four six, just runs over people over and over and over again. And then Miles Sanders at, at Penn State. I think Sanders is going to be an excellent NFL starting quarterback. You know, back up to Saquon Barkley, then rushed for almost 1,300 yards last season uh, at 5'10", five, five, 215 pounds, ran a 4.49, a 10 yard split of 152, a 6.89 cone. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that is decent. I think that's a guy that you might get in the second or early third round who will be a starting running back. Um, for a long time in the NFL. And on to the wide receivers. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to like here as well, but different, I think different types to like. There's a lot of big guys in this class. I mean, I, and Cale Harry's a guy I liked at Arizona State a lot. Yeah, We've both too. talked ad nauseum about how much we love Paris Campbell at Ohio State, a guy yeah. who they sinfully underused mm. for a lot of last season. Marquise Brown's a guy who I just thought was electrifying every time I watched him. Hakeem Butler, another another bigger guy. I mean, it feels like there's all shapes and sizes in this group. Absolutely. I think I measured, I think I counted of the, I think I counted 19 guys at six foot four and above in the uh, sort of draft eligible. But like you say, there is, there's a lot for, you know, if you're looking for, you're looking for downhill speed down the field, you take a Paris Campbell, you look at Hollywood Brown, you want those big guys then you've obviously got DK Metcalf. You've got you know um, Riley Ridley at six one and Keel Harry at six two. Kelvin Harmon at six two. JJ Arcega Whiteside at six two. Boykin at six three. You know, keep on going down. There. David Seals of West Virginia at six three. Um, you know, the guy I really like um, out of uh, out of uh, of Iowa State, Hakeem Butler, six five two twenty seven, runs a four forty eight. You know, so you kind of pick. You know, then you've got an Andy Isabella who runs a four twenty nine at five eight one eighty eight. Probably the best route runner in the draft. Change the direction. I mean, is just... Isabella Isabella's the, my dream period. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, if you're a New England Patriot fan, if you're Andy Isabella and Hunter Renfro are absolutely built yeah. for New England. But then you know, Ter- Terry McLaurin of Ohio, Ohio State is another guy that you could easily see, uh, you know, doing well in New England. But even in the fourth, fifth round area, you're going to get guys like David Sills. His teammate, Gary Jennings at West Virginia, I think nobody's talking about Jennings. I think he's a really nice player. Emmanuel Hall of Missouri. Um, you know, there's a lot of really good... Riley Wiggins, I, I, you, you, you mentioned his name briefly. I love Miles Boykin. Yes. I watched a, a decent amount of Notre Dame last year, and all I saw was him going up and getting the ball. No matter who they were playing, no matter how good the, the the secondary was, if he went up to... It reminded me a little bit of Anquan Bolden, you know, just that will to get up and catch the ball. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that's a negative because you want to see more separation, but also it can be a huge positive when the guy just keeps coming down with it. I'm going to give you five names of players that probably won't go in the first four rounds or three rounds, certainly, but who will 
uh, I think will have good NFL careers. Jacoby Myers of NC State, uh, Tyree Brady of Marshall, um, 6'2", um, Travis Fulgham of Old Dominion. Travis Fulgham is the best blocking wide receiver in the NFL. He ran a 4'5", he is a really, really, he reminds you of Des Bryant physically. 6'3", 215 pounds, big hands. Um, he's a really good player. Stanley Morgan, son of Stanley Morgan, the, the Patriots receiver, Nebraska yeah. kid. Um, he, he's a good route runner. He's a good player. Um, and then McCall Hardman of Georgia, 5'10", 187, runs a 4'33". He is um he's a flying machine. There's five Hardman might go higher than the rest, but there, there's five names of guys who I who I find fascinating, who I think will um you know will have a real impact in the NFL. But you, look, we're we're down at like I mean, what are we? We're talking about the twentieth, twenty first, twenty. You know, if you're writing a list, and yet you're still yeah. looking at you know we still haven't mentioned Jalen Hurd of Baylor, Lil Jordan Humphrey of Texas. I mean, you know. There's a kid at there's a kid at Colorado State who's had off field issues, but by God he can play. Preston Williams, um, you know Johnny Dixon at Ohio State, and this is these are Greg Dorch at Wake Forest. These are guys that may you know these are sixth, seventh round, maybe even undrafted guys. But there's some real talent there. But to me, the talent comes in that sort of sixty five to one hundred and fifty area, and then you know you could pick up two, three, four, five really good players in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. Yeah, and let's just spend a moment to to appreciate this tight end class. Because oh. I feel like for the last two or three, four years, there has been one, maybe two good tight ends and then a monumental drop-off. This class is the opposite of that. Yeah, I mean... I mean, it's, it's incredibly high at the top and there is a little bit of a drop-off, but only because of how good the top guys are. But I... I do feel that, similar to the receivers, there's a little bit of a few size fits all of, of guys in the middle rounds as well. Here. Yeah, I think you've got. I think you've got three outstanding guys who we'll get to in a sec, and then I think you've got, you know, uh, you've got a bunch of whatever you want. Really, if you want blocking tight ends, then you've you've got it. If you want downfield threats, then you've got it. If you want a mixture of both, then then you've got it. Let's take the top three. I mean, to me, TJ Hawkinson of Iowa is the best tight end in this draft. He is not the physical athletic freak that his teammate Noah Fan is, but this is a kid who won the Mackey Award for the best tight end. He burst onto the scene, splitting targets with Fant. 50 catches, 760 yards, six touchdowns. He is... Where has he ranked for you in recent... I think he's ends. well. I mean, he's just an all round. He's he's an all round. I think he's the best tight end to come out since Travis Kelsey. Um, and I see. Think, I, I I was a huge fan in the draft process of um, what's he called the guy who was at it was at Cincinnati again. Eifert. Oh, I thought Eifert yeah. was was an awesome prospect, but and was great in the NFL for a time. But he, injuries have just killed it the only guy I can think of who I looked at and thought was as good as Hawkinson is is maybe OJ Howard yeah who I think, kind of had that, that I just mix think, of skills I just think Hawkinson Hawkinson's the best blocking tight end I've seen come out in terms of a guy who's going to be a number one tight end he's the best blocking tight end that I have seen in 10 years he does work so well as a as a blocking tight end either either on the on the backside of the you know in terms of cutting off guys on the back end um and opening backside cutback lanes 
or play side at the front where he just, you know, his ability to get, turn, drive a man is just second to none. And he can get downfield. Look, he's, he's a 4'6", 470 guy. He's not, you know, we're not talking about a guy who can run 4'4", and that's absolutely fine. Travis Kelsey wasn't a guy who could run 4'4". This is a guy who will be a receiving mismatch because of his height and his physicality and who will be an absolutely monstrous blocker uh, you know, he will start from day one. And Titans, the, you know, we've talked about this. Titans is the most difficult position to learn, but he is an absolute machine uh, as a blocking Titan. His teammate, Noah Fant, for me, you know, 4 5 40, great three cone time, almost a 40 inch vertical. You know, he's an athletic freak. He is the guy that, you know, he's kind of he can block as well do you know what i mean this is not he's he's got three down starting potential as well i don't think he's the blocker that that hawkinson is but that's not that shouldn't be seen as a negative um but yeah, he I mean, is a, hawkinson's a rare breed oh obviously. totally totally but fan is a guy that if you know if you want to to line fan up as a as the y or the f really um and just set him free down the field he is going to be He's going to be the guy that you want to to throw to. He could, you know, he has the sort of receiving ability, and then some of Evan Ingram uh, of um, of the Giants. I think uh, he can have that kind of, you know, he's got that kind of skill set and, and more. And then, Earth- and, and I guess you put some stock into I I were being tight end you. I Definitely. mean, George Kittle as well. Definitely. You know, you know that these guys are coming into the league with great coaching. And the fascinating thing about Kittle is that you look at what Kittle did at Iowa in terms of his receiving numbers. And that throws up, uh, it, it makes scouts and evaluators go back and look at, okay, you know, because Kittle didn't have a lot of, Kittle had 22 catches in four years. And he was a converted receiver. Yeah. I mean, I chatted to him at the Pro Bowl and, he, and we were talking about it and he, he went in as a, as a receiver who converted into a tight end as well. Exactly. Sorry, he had 48 catches in four years um, at, at Iowa. You know, and all of a sudden in the NFL, he's become probably the best tight end in, in football. You know, he's had a hundred. I thought he should have been the old pro yeah, last year. 131 <laughs> catches um, so far. I mean, almost tripling the number of catches he had in in four years in college. Um, you know, so yes, I, I totally believe. And you look at look at a team like the Green Bay Packers at, at pick twelve. You know, if somebody like if an Ed Oliver to pair with Kenny Clark is not there then surely getting Aaron Rodgers, somebody like TJ Hawkinson, would be an absolute, you know, no-brainer for me. Perfect for Green Bay as well. Absolutely. In terms of, in Just terms stylistically. Of, I mean, people forget the, the weather, but I mean... In terms of somebody, the fans are getting behind as well. That's it's a, just That a, feels like a perfect fit. He's an archetypal Green Bay Packer player. An absolute yeah. archetype. He's somebody that's going to thrive in the cold. He'll have his sleeves rolled up. He'll knock the snot out of somebody, and then he'll catch 15 touchdown passes from Rodgers because that's just the kind of guy he is. Then Irv Smith is the number three, kind of guy who's really gone under the radar, kind of mismatched weapon for Alabama, good route, you know, does it all well, good route runner, good hands, seam buster, can run after the catch, um, and, and, can, and can block. You know, his old man was a first-round picker back in the 90... 90- Three draft of Smith Senior. Um, I'm going to look that up. I might have got that wrong. Oh, so apologies if it is. But you know, I, I mean, think, I, I think people will forgive you, mate. You're trying to, and it was '93. You've got no, it. there. You go. Um, I think um, he's a guy that's a, for me top forty, top forty-five pick. If he ends up in the first round, you wouldn't be surprised. And then really after that, production look, in big games for Smith as well. I mean, I, I think back to the. 
the two national championship games. Absolutely. He, he, he came up big time in them. And, and it's hard to have production in in that Alabama offense yeah. you wonder because what, there's just so many mouths exactly. to feed. You wonder what he could do if it wasn't for... Um, you know Henry Ruggs and uh, Jerry Judy Jerry and Judy. you know all those guys you know when he was asked to deliver he delivered uh, and then from then on it does drop off a little bit but look if you're looking if you're the New England Patriots for example and you are looking for a replacement for Rob Gronkowski San Diego State's Kahale Waring could be exactly what you're looking for he is the sort of guy that could end up as a you know nobody's ever going to replace Gronkowski but there is a guy that you know fits the entire package um a, a little bit like Kittle in a bit underused but just physical at the catch point physical as a blocker can get down the field around a 4640 he's big at 65 252 good numbers good vertical numbers that's a you know he's a very interesting guy. Josh Oliver is another another kid. Jay Sternberger is a downfield threat. You know he's not going to block anybody, but he had almost a thousand yards receiving last year. He's a junior entry, so it might take him a little bit of time. He's a Kansas transfer, but again, here's somebody that you know his one on one. If you want to watch it go, his one on one battle with Josh Allen, who'll be a top three pick kid out of Kentucky down the field, was fascinating. Um, and then some guys, I, I like Zach Gentry of Michigan. I think he can play. I think Caden Smith of Stanford's a decent player. Um, Gentry is outrageously raw, but he's a one that you would say you, you judge him in 18 months' absolutely. time because there are huge tools to wear. I mean, I think he was a quarterback. He was, yeah. Previously. I mean, he, he, he doesn't make enough catches that you want him to make, but he's also very new at the position. So. Yeah. You know, and then there's, you know, you look at kids like, you know, Dawson Knox of Ole Miss. You know, he, uh, the question for him, much like the question for Jordan Tiamu is, was he benefiting from the fact that, you know, teams were keying on uh, on Metcalf and Brown? That's, you know, to be decided. But Dawson Knox has has talent. Um, so it's a, it's a fascinating group and there's, there's something for everybody in there. Um, and... But but I I do think that the, the, the three guys at the top are, are very good. I think Hawkinson, you know, if in three years' time, Hawkinson, we're talking about him as a perennial pro bowler and a potentially an all-pro tight end, I would not be surprised at all. At all. I think that is us. We will wrap this show up. Um, I'm going to just say to people, from the point this podcast will be out, we will almost certainly have released our 2019 subscription packages, which include our draft edition that comes out in a couple of weeks' time for free. So Mm -hmm. if people want to get involved in that, the draft edition will feature a lot of the chat we've got. It'll give you the... It'll give you all the rankings that Sai's put together for us. Also, some great interview pieces. I've recently edited Sai's piece on Rashan, Gary and Chase Winovich, who me and him both interviewed in Ann Arbor, about three months ago and it's awesome that's worth getting the magazine alone so so please check that out and um yeah we'll be trying to ramp these up now i mean the draft is around the corner i haven't got involved in draft season this year as much so i almost feel like it's coming up on me quickly whereas for you si i imagine it's coming very slowly yeah very Um, slowly always does so yeah we will we will hit on the trenches next time and then we'll do the the skill players of defence, the guys who are fast and linebackers and safeties and corners and things like that. But thanks for listening and we will speak to you again in the next couple of days, hopefully. Goodbye. We Danes are a modest bunch. 
We enjoy simple pleasures. As such, we tend not to blow our own trumpets. But since Carlsberg Export has a refined, full-bodied and rather satisfying taste, perhaps just this once. Too much? Probably. Carlsberg Export, probably the most modest beer in the world. Enjoy responsibly. Drinkaware.co.uk for the facts. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.